clarify, <clears throat> I didn't throw John into the bus. He was prepared to speak. Uh, and John <clears throat> just joined our staff in June, um, but he's, <clears throat> excuse me, he's leading the charge in this neighborhood. Um, he has grown up there and been a part of that, has aspirations to see the kingdom go forth as, as an urban oasis grows in that area. So uh, thanks, John, for sharing about that. Um, this morning, I wanted to take a quick moment. Uh, some of you guys are maybe new to the church or uh, maybe are new to hear some of the stuff about Alliance Missions. Um, and every church I've been going to, uh, just sharing because I sit uh, as a domestic developer for the, the U.S. I oversee all of our domestic envision sites. I ha have an opportunity to sit uh, on a direct team at the national office. And there's been a lot of discussion over the past couple of years on how do we, how do we make Alliance Missions more... Um, uh, available to people, better to understand what's going on around the world, uh, because there's been these different pockets of who's, who's a part of missions, who's not a part of missions. And so we said, you know what, we need to begin to call ourselves Alliance Missions that operates in four specializations. Uh, and so I just want to kind of give you a synopsis, synopsis of those things, just so as you begin to think through and as you can you see more about Alliance Missions, um, that you understand what's going on. Uh, so one of the, the main goal was how do we come, become more of a unified unit uh, and how do we work together all around the world? And so uh, specializations, the one that you are probably most familiar with, uh, if you've been following Alliance missions or international workers, is access. Uh, that was the old term uh, for missionaries that were more uh, career missionaries going overseas uh, as church planters. Uh, they're going to all different places to do mostly church planting. So access it's still doing that. There are still missionaries that are going out, getting their training, uh, getting ordained, and getting their masters and all that stuff to go do church planting around the world. Um, the second uh, specialization is comma services, uh, which used to be outside the CMA for a time, uh, is more of the CMA relief and development specialization. So they're doing things like uh, disaster relief. Uh, they're the ones that are showing up and doing more of the farming, community development pieces all over the world. Uh, and there are those, again, another a way to get into countries that have uh, least access, that career missionaries have a hard time getting into sometimes uh, just because of the religious uh, affiliation. Uh, the third one is uh, Marketplace Ministries, uh, which is a group of professionals uh, that are going overseas and opening up businesses. They're being professors at colleges. Again, these are people going into places where it's really hard to uh, get in with, uh, a, as a career missionary. And so they're doing things like being a professor at colleges. They are opening up small businesses, uh, computer stuff, leadership development, um, those types of things going on. And then you have Envision, <clears throat> which is what we're a part of, Envision Cleveland, which is about identifying and developing uh, missional leaders that will go out and build up and strengthen urban communities, communities around the world. So we're really about development. We're kind of the entry to the pipeline of all these things and this access to all these alliance missions. But we all are all alliance missions. And the reason for that, we want to just continue to share the same message is that when you are praying for alliance missions, when you are giving towards alliance missions, you're supporting a lot of things that are going on. Uh, and we have a pretty large family of international workers that are serving both domestically and internationally. And so that's just a little bit about uh, that. Uh, just a little bit of update on Envision Cleveland. Uh, I was telling Scott before, it's like, it's been five and a half years and it's so much fun to sit back and watch and see how God has been doing cool things. Uh, we continue to have favor <clears throat> in neighborhoods across the city. The last year, if you guys were 
at Renew the City. Uh, we have kind of made Mount Pleasant a target neighborhood uh, with our partners there. But then across the street, we were given a building. Uh, it used to be called the King Tut Building. Uh, it's been used from anything from a, an Elks Lodge to a party center to it has four bars in it. Uh, and they were like bars in the basement, bars in the first level, bars in the attic. Uh, there's no longer bars there anymore. We're not going to be serving any drinks anytime soon there. Uh, but uh, it's going to be the home of our new vocational center. And so there's some pictures out in the foyer that are kind of showing our dream for that building. Uh, we've been approached by people in the neighborhood saying, hey, we want to have access uh, to job training skills. We want to have access to things that are different, that are not always available in our neighborhood. And so we are hard at work at trying to do something with that building. Uh, but then there's also, we have a full summer of 10 weeks of teams coming this summer. Um, and so God has been doing some really fun things. Um, also with our family, because you guys have been with us along for the ride for the whole five years. This church was here with Lynn, I think, leading the way. He was one of my first leaders of uh, taking people out and picking up garbage in the Collinwood neighborhood. And it's built into a fun a partnership uh, between this church and you guys, not only praying for us, but coming, you're giving uh, to our site, you're giving to our family, which my wife is here with us, and Riley, she's over there, you can everybody say it to Riley, because she'll love that. And then my son Hudson's up here with John as well. You guys have been supporting us uh, through your prayers, and many of you guys follow my wife. She's the better writer and the better communicator of what God's doing in the city and with our family. So you guys have been along for the ride. So we're celebrating right now that we were able to raise the money for a van that we've so desperately needed um, over the past uh, three months. We were able to raise that money. So my wife is cruising in her new van that's uh, specially adapted for our daughter. And it's so funny because the first time she got in it, she calls me. She goes, I don't think I want to come home. I just want to ride around in the van uh, because it's so nice and it's so comfortable. So thank you if you're there uh, that have been a part of that. And so this morning, as we open up uh, this morning, I want to just share maybe when I, when I come and speak at churches, I tend to uh, want to just share some of the things that I'm wrestling with. Um, <clears throat> it's crazy that about five and a half years ago, um, I was approached by a couple students of mine, two guys uh, that I had opportunity to mentor and disciple for about three or four years. Uh, and they came up to me and said, hey, uh, Pastor Paul, uh, we were wondering if you wanted to, we need to think about doing something to kind of commemorate or like solidify this partnership that we've had and your influence in our lives. And so you think about like, what, what is this guy going to say? Like, we're going to have a party. We're going to go out and throw axes. I don't know what that's going to look like. But he says, I think we should get tattoos. And I'm like, oh, I said, I've always had, I, I, lo I, would lo I love looking at tattoos. I love the artwork and all that kind of stuff, but never had a good reason to get a tattoo. And I'm like, if I'm going to get one, I want to get it for a good reason. And I'm thinking, well, this is it. Uh, this is my opportunity to get a tattoo. Now, what's crazy is those guys, one guy didn't tell his mom. Uh, and so they got their tattoos right here on the rib cage. Uh, I didn't get one because I'm a little bit bigger than the guys that asked me. And so the, the, my tattoo would just look a little bit funny. Uh, but I got mine on my wrist, and it says uh, 116 uh, or 116, which if some of you guys know, I had a guy come up to me after service last time and said, oh, I'm part of the click. Well, 116 click is a part of a, uh, a large organization of rappers and Christian rapper singers um, that have de developed this thing called the 116 click. Uh, and it's after Romans 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so I'm like, sure, let's get these tattoos. So we got these tattoos. 
and didn't really think too much of it. It was more of, I'm going to get this tattoo. I know it's not a bad thing. It's pretty cool. But I didn't really think too much of it after that. Uh, and it was about three and a half months ago when I was uh, in a meeting and one of our leaders was sharing a devotional about Romans 1.16. And he began to uh, just ask different questions and process uh, what does it really mean to be unashamed? And what does it really mean, the gospel, uh, being, the gospel being that of the power of God to change lives? And so I started <clears throat> looking at my wrist a little bit differently. And I'm like, God, I, maybe I need to start researching this a little bit more. Now, again, I'm five and a half years past date of really thinking about this. <clears throat> but as I began to start processing, and over the past three and a half months, the Lord has been taking me on a journey. And what's crazy, I was even reminded about two weeks ago when I was in Montana, I was uh, sharing a seminar or a seminar where students can ask you anything they want. Uh, and I happened to have a short sleeve shirt on, and so she, one of the girls goes, what's your tattoo mean? And so as I've been processing this, you're getting a little bit more of my process. And I'm wrestling with this, and uh, the Lord's really been pushing on me and encouraging me as we look at that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 1.16. Um, we're going to camp out here this morning. Um, and so this is not, a, a, again, this is not a, a sermon to glorify tattoos, so please don't give me that. But to really understand uh, this. Romans 1.16, I'll be reading out of uh, the ESV version. And it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. If we're honest in here, we all probably can relate to some story in our life that's caused us shame. All right, and so uh, it reminds me of a story of one of my friends that I've met in, in Cleveland. Uh, he's one of our partners. He runs an organization, a construction company that hires refugees and also rents properties to refugees. Cleveland, again, is a city that's been welcoming to a lot of different uh, cultures that have been coming into the city. Uh, and his... Uh, Probably one of his passions or one of the people groups that he really just loves is African people. Uh, he learned French. Uh, he does pretty well in French. And so he's hired in Congolese. Uh, he's rented to all kinds of people across Africa. But uh, over the recent years, we've had more of an influx of Sudanese people coming in. And so uh, before all this had happened, Daryl had spent some time traveling overseas He's been to Africa. He bought the garb, uh, the, all the different muumu dress things, kind of things. He bought it for his family. Uh, and so that's kind of a part of the context. But as Sudanese started coming in, he started befriending people uh, in the Sudanese community. Uh, and they were always like, oh, Mr. Dale, can you help us do this? And so he was always eager to help and always an encouragement to this, uh, to this group of people. And one day uh, they said, hey, would you be willing to come to one, a wedding? We're having a big wedding and we want you to become, come to the wedding. And so Daryl is like, yes, I'm in. I'm in with the Sudanese. I'm going. And so Daryl goes home, tells his wife, hey, we're all going to the Sudanese wedding, and we're going to wear our African garb. And he says, and so he shows up in this nice, big, long, they call them moo-moo kind, kinds of things. His wife's decked out. He even got his kids' clothes. Uh, and he goes, we're going to this wedding. We are going to show up, and it's going to be so fun to be a part of this. And he brings his whole family into the wedding, and he is the only one wearing African garb. He showed up and everybody else is wearing American suits and American dresses. Daryl 
was ashamed. He didn't get the memo that he probably should not. You should ask somebody before you go to the wedding, what should we wear? Also reminds me of a story of a young man that uh, was in school. He was the guy that kind of had everything. His parents made good money, uh, but he tended to always make fun of everybody else. And there's one guy in particular he would always pick on because his dad was in prison uh, for a number of different things, but he was, one of the big things was had to do with money. And so he would just always razz this guy, give this guy a hard time all the time until he showed up from school after, you know, he drove home from school and there was news reporters in his front yard and the cops were taking his dad away for embezzling money. This young man was ashamed. And even maybe even a more of a lighthearted thing is that I'm a big Clemson Tiger fan uh, and uh, if you don't know about history and the history game between Ohio State and Clemson, uh, is that Ohio State's never beat Clemson. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Uh, but what's crazy is that Ohio State fans always are in my face every year. Oh, we're going to take down Clemson. There's no chance. You've got nothing. And sure enough, every year I stand up and uh, those people are ashamed. No, not really. They're just hiding. They're hiding in a closet somewhere because they're too ashamed because of what they said. But we've all experienced some type of shame in our life for what we stand for or, or maybe things that we didn't hear the memo. But we've experienced shame in our life. The reality is, church, is that followers of Jesus, we are always going to experience shame from all directions. See, the reality is, is that Paul is sharing this. this, this these two passages, or these two verses, 16 and 17 of Romans 1, kind of are the hinge point for a whole book of Romans. See, the thing is, is that Paul uh, felt an obligation to go preach the gospel to the Jews, the Greeks, and the barbarians. The reality is, is that Paul experienced quite a bit of shame. Up to this point, Paul had been put in prison. Paul had been beaten for the simple fact that he was following Jesus. And if you know the history of Paul, is that Paul was not a good dude. And because of the interaction that he had with Jesus and how Jesus changed his life, he is now different. And as he's going out and preaching, people are continuing to shame Paul. Paul experienced shame from all the people, but he understood the obligations we see in verses 14 and 15, that he has to, he's obligated to go out and share the gospel because he realized it was worth it. Can you imagine a man that was so intent of stopping the gospel? He would even have people set up to be killed because they were following the gospel. And now, because the gospel has changed him, he says, if it can change me, it's got to be able to change the world. See, the reality is that Paul saw shame, but he wasn't ashamed. He experienced the shame. Church we will continue to experience the shame. The reality is, is that he took Christ's example when it came to shame. If you think about it, get, think about Jesus' life. Nobody ever really liked Jesus or were on his side unless they needed something. Most people were coming to Jesus to trip him up, 
to call them out. You're not doing it right, Jesus. You should be doing this. You're not following the law. Why are you hanging out with sinners? All the way to the point where they send them to the cross to die. But Jesus' response was this. If we read in Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus recognized the shame. But he says he despised the shame and continued forward. It was for actually for joy that he moved forward. Because he knew that at the end of the day, he's going to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. He knew the end game. Paul realized the power of the gospel as Jesus realized that it was going to be you and I sitting here that it was worth it for him to go through all the junk that he went through so that we may be able to experience the gospel. To be unashamed is not to say that there's not going to be shame because it's going to be there. The reality is, as we look out uh, in our world, the world is in desperate need of followers of Jesus who recognize the power of the gospel in their own lives and are willing to despise the shame and live and preach the gospel. The power of the gospel to change things. I don't know about you, but I sometimes, as I've been processing through this and studying this, I find myself sitting there going, okay, God, what would my life be like without the gospel? I don't know where I would be. I'm pretty confident that I would not be in a good place. That my fleshly desires are not good. But it's the gospel that has changed that. There are moments, and even in our own life, as we serve in the city of Cleveland, I'm going, is it worth it to live out the gospel? We ask the question, my wife and I have discussed even in the past, why are we even doing this? Why is this tattooed on my arm? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the power for, to be able to take somebody and rearrange and flip it and send it a, do, a different direction that is for the good. It changes things. It changes you and I. And the reality is we look out, a lot of times we as the church and even as people as Christians, instead of looking at people out in our current climate in our country, with the, our, response, excuse me, our response has always been, yuck. We look out those doors, and we, if I, I'm in the same way. We look out there and go, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to be out there. Because the reality is this morning, as we sit here and we worship, this is the easiest place not to feel ashamed. Because we're all alike. We want to follow Jesus. It's easier. It's easier to say, let's look out there and go, that's just yuck. I'm not going to put myself out there. But we must choose to be the bearers of the gospel and do it unashamedly. The reality is you and I are the gospel bearers. The reality is that you have people in your life that if you don't share the gospel, they may never hear. We have opportunities 
to be the bearers in places where what happens if, if I don't? The reality is, is that God is the one that changes somebody's life, but he's chosen to use us to bear the witness. He's chosen us to be those that are sharing the gospel. And so I wrestle at night because I have friends and I have people that I work with in my neighborhood. And when I sit here and go, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Jesus says, yes, you can, because the gospel is worth it. I have the ability to change things. For the power of God for salvation is worth it. And I do. I go back to a 116 song that says, send me. I'm willing to go. And we need more people to say, you know what? It doesn't matter the shame I'm going to do because I'm going to despise the shame and I'm going to keep moving forward. We need those that are willing to step up and be unashamed. The world is asking for some places in the world they're begging for it. To remind us that this gospel message is anchored in truth. It's, a, it's, it's full of love. It's objective and it's available to all. The gospel calls us to die to ourselves so that others may live. Jesus was not thinking about himself when he was on the cross. He was thinking about you and I. I'm willing to give it so they can have it. Paul, even in prison, he writes in Colossians, hey, will you guys pray for me? Because as I'm here in prison, I need to have some more opportunities to talk about the gospel. So can you pray for me to have clarity? Will you give me opportunities to have my speech seasoned with salt so it's effective? This dude's praying from prison. And you and I live in an area in the country where we can freely talk about it. And yet we tend to hold back because it's too yucky out there. The gospel calls us to die to ourselves so that others may live. It values all people. It calls us to confess, confess, to repent, and put something bigger than ourselves above ourselves. Let me say that one more time. It calls us to confess, to repent, and to put something bigger than ourselves above ourselves. That God wants to do something bigger and far more greater than we can ever imagine. And he wants to use you and I to be bearers of the gospel. They are doing it unashamedly. I'm not saying to go out there and pound people with the gospel. I'm just saying to live it out unashamedly. My fear is if the church starts in some places, but also continues in others to mimic the culture in the seismic shift we are seeing, we will tear ourselves away from the very thing that has saved us. The church in some ways, has started to lose its season. Because we're allowing the yuck to keep us forced in here so that we don't go out there. The gospel is calling us to go out, not to be part of the culture that is leading us away from the gospel, but to be something that's counter-cultural. The reality is that Jesus was a weird dude, if you think about it. He was doing everything opposite of what the law was talking about. 
even the Christian leaders, what is wrong with you, Jesus? What are you doing? You're hanging out with these sinners. You're going to eat with them. You're going to hang out with them. You're praying with them. You got, and by the way, you got these 12 guys that are just a bunch of rambunctious, crazy guys. He was different. And he was shamed for it, but he says, no, we're going to go forward because this is what God, the Father has called me to be and to do. Paul was different. The world is asking and needing something different. As we evaluate and we look at how the gospel has affected us, it should cause us to move out to be a place where we're unashamed and we're bringing it. This morning, I want to share with you seven ways that as you may say, you know what, I want to be about the gospel. I want to be unashamed. Here are some ways to begin to work on some of these things. The first one is this, anchor, anchor, uh, excuse me, anchor yourself to what's true. Anchor yourself to what's true. Know the gospel. Know the word. Know about Jesus. I always share with students when I was a youth pastor, if you can become an expert on Jesus, it'll take you very far in your ministry. Know who he was. Know what he was about. Know the word. Because the temptation is, is that we just give them kind of a fluffy message because it's, it's easier to do it that way. We don't want to offend too many people. But he's calling us to be those that hang on to the truth. What's crazy, I watched a councilman just two weeks ago meet with a community in the, in, in the city of Mount Pleasant, in the neighborhood of Mount Pleasant, and he began to use Scripture as a platform for his politics. He used the Tower of Babel like it was a good thing. That, hey, we should all get together like at the Tower of Babel and work together to build something. And as I'm sitting there, I'm going, these people are hearing the wrong gospel. If I don't involve myself in those other people's lives to share the gospel, who will? Because they're looking to a councilman. Because he's promising them, I will give you food. I will give you jobs. I will make sure that your house is being taken care of. Because we're going to be like the Tower of Babel. We don't need guys that are using it for politics. We need those that are going to say, I'm going to anchor myself to the word. I'm going to anchor myself to the truth. And then I'm going to go forward and share the truth. The second thing is to stop the spin. Don't get caught up in the vortex of your personal opinions or anyone else's. Be dead honest. Tell the truth. I have found that even working in a city uh, with people that believe differently me than me, especially those that are following Islam, that sometimes we find this temptation to not be true followers of Jesus. That we kind of beat around the bush because we don't want to offend. And I had a conversation with a young man one time. He goes, just tell me that you love Jesus because I know you follow Jesus. Why don't we talk about that? Why don't you tell me the truth? The temptation is always to hold back because we don't want to put ourselves out there. And we think up something else. Well, maybe if God will just bring it to mind, or maybe it'll just happen to come to conversation. I was sharing with a young man that was uh, going to Akron right now, and he was saying it's really hard uh, to do it here. But when, when I go to overseas, it's really easy to share the gospel. Well, there's nothing that's going to cost him. Because even myself, 
as a young person in high school, I had a, a friend, he was a transfer student, he was my good friend. We talked about everything in life, even the fluffy stuff, and we talked about this, but we never talked about the truth. My freshman year of college, he passed away of leukemia. Never talked to him about the Lord. Because I was more concerned about him being my friend than him knowing the truth. Stop the spin. Be about the gospel. Number three, confess your role in it. Saying sorry. Our country, our climate that we're in, nobody ever wants to say sorry. There are people that I have to walk the streets with in the city of Cleveland that sometimes I just need to say sorry on behalf of the people that I come from. I'm not a racist, but the people that I've lived my life with are racists. And so sometimes having a conversation with a black man or a woman, I have to say sorry, not because I necessarily am guilty, but I need to let them know that the gospel has changed my focus. The gospel can change our conversation. And so I have to say sorry to somebody. I don't know how many men and women I've talked to who says, Paul, they, nobody ever just acknowledges what happened. Or maybe the things that we do in our lives and the things that we think in our minds that we never share with anybody, but it affects the way we treat people. Those that are living unashamed gospel lives are not worried about just sharing the truth and saying sorry. The reality is you may not be the whole problem, but you may have been a part of it. Number four, embrace love. Embrace love. Sometimes we get this image that the gospel is a big hammer and we're just trying to pound the gospel in people. But I see somebody like, I see Jesus as he shares the gospel. The gospel is kind. The gospel is love. The gospel is full of grace. And we have to embrace that. Just about a week ago, we had Alliance Life uh, wanting to do a story about Envision Cleveland. And it's so fun because I get to take this journalist around the city and I get to let him just ask people what they think about Envision and how Envision's worked with the neighborhood. And so it puts you a little bit, you don't know what people are going to say. But this one man, uh, one of my friends that I've made in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood, he says this, we don't care how much you know until we know how much you care. Been working in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood for four years. And the reality is, is I could come in there and just tell them this is who we are, this is what we're going to do. But I've had to take the gospel in a very kind and a very loving and a very caring way. And the response has been from people like Xavier saying, we didn't care what you had to say until you actually showed that you cared for us. That you loved us. There are still people that talk about Kurt. And his, he wrote a bobcat last year in Mount Pleasant. I still have people coming to me. That guy, he was so nice. He just stopped and talked. I don't know how much work he got done that day, but he talked a lot, right? That's what I'm talking about. He didn't have, he's, the, he's the white guy from Wadsworth driving a tractor. 
But he's stopping and talking to people because he valued the people there. He stopped to love. If your truth does not look like love, then it probably is not truth. When Christ is truly present and working in your life, truth and love are never separated. The objective of the gospel functions less like a sledgehammer and more like an anchor. We have to be those that are loving people. Number five, which definitely speaks to our climate these days, keep some distance from your political positions. Keep your distance from political situations. I'm not saying that politics don't matter. But the reality is, as you look at that, politics do matter, but it will never change the world the way the gospel can. You can say it in Wadsworth, I see it in Cleveland, I see all kinds of different efforts. But it really is the gospel that actually changes the lives. It's not the promises of certain people or certain parties. The reality is, is that God's not a Republican, a Democrat or conservative. He is so separate. He is God. He is the king. Now again, the plot, polit, uh, politics may matter, but when it comes to the gospel, we have to be able to look across all of that. Just know this. If God has all the same opinions your political party does, you're probably not worshiping God. Both sides. Number six, love people who oppose you. Love people who oppose you. I asked the question, when was the last time you sat down and had a cup of coffee with somebody that does not agree with you? Jesus hung out and talked to a lot of people who did not agree with him. Paul did as well. But I ask us, when's the last time that you sat down with somebody that does not believe you. Our tendency is to be, I'm only hanging out with people who look like me, sound like me, and agree. Because it's easier. It's not always easy to sit down with somebody that doesn't agree with you. I can tell you a number of stories of people that I've sat down with that I don't agree with. Even people that are even in ministry. There was a guy that uh, works at a different organization than I do, and he's just kind of a standoff kind of guy. He's not always super kind. And I remember as we, we our paths would cross, and he would always kind of just irk me a little bit, just frustrate me. I'm like, why are, why are you even here kind of guy? Because he kind of didn't make me always look good, or he questioned and so, but I knew that God was kind of in, in telling me, like, Paul, you probably need to go make this right because you guys partner, you work together in some ways. And I'd always say, no, God, it's not, it's not time. I'm not ready. But then I found myself at a land bank event. There was, we were celebrating the Cuyahoga Land Bank's 10 years of all the work they've done in the city. And uh, I'm there, and I, have, I brought my mom, so I'm safe. I don't have to worry about talking to anybody else. I got my mom here. I didn't know this guy was going to be here. Well, here he comes walking in the door. He doesn't know anybody. So who do you think that he points out and goes and looks for first? Me. Oh, I know Paul. I'm like, oh. Well, we begin to share. 
and talk about different things. It was really interesting because even though we don't always agree on certain things that we do, we were able to talk because he was willing to step into my role, into my, in my bubble and talk with me. Or maybe it's the person that believes different than you, that looks different than you, and definitely is never going to agree. Is it worth it? One of my good friends in the city of Mount Pleasant is a leader of uh, Peace in the Hood, which is an organization that's helping gangs to work out different things, but he's a Muslim leader for the black community. And people always tell me, like, Paul, you know, you should always partner with people that are Christians, and you should always partner with people that think just like us, so we don't have to ever worry about problems, about not agreeing. Well, I made it my mission to be a partner of Khalid. Because the reality is, is in all the things that he's doing, he's not necessarily doing anything bad. He's actually trying to help the neighborhood. And so it was so, it's been interesting because even though we don't agree, I'm still responsible for being the gospel to him. The reason that you guys experienced last year at Mount Pleasant, Renew the City, no problems with anybody, is because of Khalid. Because Khalid called all the gang leaders and says, do not come to Mount Pleasant today. And they all listened. But now Khalid is asking me questions about why I follow Jesus. But I had to put myself there. And yes, our, 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 our picture was in the newspaper arm in arm. Because you have to put yourself in places where people don't always agree with you. Because again, that person may not be able to hear the gospel except through you. Put yourself in people that maybe don't uh, agree with you. Maybe they're going to be the ones that are going to argue with you. That's why you got to know the truth, right? You've got to be able to do those things. And the last thing as I close with this is of all the people in the world, Christians should be the most hopeful. Number seven, we have the hope. And yet, I continue to, as I traveled, I've been traveling for the past month and a half, I continue to see more and more Christians too afraid. Like you forgot what God did. You forgot what God did in your life for salvation. You forget the ending of the story. We already know the end. He's coming back to take us to be with Him for the rest of our lives. We should have the hope. So when we look out into a world that looks really yucky, that we say, you know what, but God. And it's my responsibility. It should be my obligation to go to the Jews, the Gentiles, the barbarians, and the people that don't look like me. It's my obligation because I've experienced the gospel. Because I have the hope. The hope comes from outside any system or person because it comes from Christ. Cling to Him and share the hope He brings. Why do I continue to stay in the city of Cleveland? Because I believe that Jesus has a plan, that Jesus the King wants to change things. As I close with this story, I, you guys know Northeast Ohio has the brightest, sunniest days all year long. No. But I enjoy shoveling snow. My son and I sometimes make it a competition. We kind of do all these different things with snow. But yesterday morning, as I, I'm always kind of in a, in a posture of just thinking, God, what do you have for me today as I prepare for this message? 
And uh, as I'm shoveling snow, it was, it was like 18 degrees yesterday morning and things were snowing. It was kind of cloudy. But then the sun came out. And it was nice, crisp air, the sun shining through. You begin to hear the birds chirp. The snow begins to melt. The reality is, is that in a northeast Ohio, cloudy, kind of sorry day that most of us like to close our windows so we don't have to look out, the sun changed the atmosphere. And as I was shoveling, I was just reminded, Paul, I can change the atmosphere. I want to change the mistake on the lake. I want to change the individual that thinks that I have nothing. And just like the sun began to melt and to change the atmosphere, the birds start chirping, things are starting to come alive. God wants that for those people, not only for you, but those that are out there in all the yuck. And he's asking us, he's inviting us, he's asking us to be unashamed of the gospel. That we take it to whoever he puts in front of us. That we do it in a way that's unashamed. That we're not going to hide behind anything, but we're going to put ourselves out there because it's worth it. Because what we sing about here on Sunday mornings, people out there got to be able to experience it some other way too. So I ask us to be a people that are unashamed of the gospel. That is no longer just a temporary tattoo, or not, mine's not temporary, I guess, but a permanent tattoo that's just to show it off. But it's actually a lifestyle that I should live. May the Lord grant you, may the Lord empower you to do those things. Lord, I pray this morning that I share these things, and I share from a place where you are working on me, you are pushing on me hard, and I can be honest to say that it's not always easy. There is something to lose. There is going to be shame that's going to be involved. But may we take your example when you said, I consider it joy to endure the cross, for I despised shame because I know who I'm going to sit beside in the future. May Wadsworth, our Freshwater Church, know that this morning, that you are calling us that whatever you're asking us to endure, may we do it with joy. May we despise the shame because the gospel has the power to change and because the gospel is worth it. And we thank you. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.